kids are going back to school. Most of them already have, right? In some form or other, some of you are happy. Some of you have been crying tears. It's those of you who your oldest child has gone into kindergarten, and it's, oh, your kid gets on the bus or you drop them off, and they're like, bye, see you later. And you're like, no, my kid. <laughs> and you're the sad one, right? Or many of you have dropped off your child, taken them to college, and you've posted many pictures of them getting into their first dorm room experience. And you are also crying tears. Some of it's joy, right? They're finally out of the house. Anyways, um, but it's interesting because those of you whose little ones are just starting school, you're thinking as parents, man, I hope I do a good job with them. This is a big responsibility, raising this child. And those on the other end, you're going, I hope I did a good job because that was really hard. I hope it works out all right. But either way, many of us as parents and families, grandparents, I'm going to put everybody in this category, we know the importance that we have the responsibility, the privilege of us influencing, raising the next generation. We want to do it right. But sometimes there's so much pressure, we're not sure what to do. What is the right thing? Well, this morning, I want to look at probably, we've been, last couple of weeks, we've given you a lot of ideas. This morning, we're going to talk more about the heart. We're going to get to the heart of the issue a little bit. So I want to start with Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Very popular scripture about parenting and children. And it says this. First, first part is for the kids. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. We probably ought to be with the middle school telling them this right now, right? Okay, but you're here. And it says, honor your father and mother. This is the first of the Ten Commandments that ends with a promise. This is the promise. If you honor your father and mother, you will live a long life full of blessing. And now a word to you fathers. Don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up, raise them up with the discipline, instruction improved by the Lord. It says here, you will live a long life full of blessing. And I think all of us, all right, not just parents or grandparents, but all of us would love for the people in our lives to live a long, full, and blessed life, right? I mean, that's, that's, that we'd love to have it. We want the people around us to have that as well. But in order to have it, it's very clear. It says, if you honor your mother and father, then that will happen. This word honor is more than just an action or words. It's really a heart issue. Honoring somebody comes from your heart. And then it's manifest in the things that you do. Because at the heart of the family is the heart. Everyone's heart. And the breakdown of our family in our culture today probably with everything, though, it's not just a family issue. It's not just a behavior issue. It's not just an action issue. It's a heart issue. And so often, 
I mean, for many of us, but especially for the people in the world, if there's a problem in the world, if there's a problem in our countries, a problem in our community, we want to attack the people or the issue or the policy and change those things. But here's the thing. If hearts don't change, that won't last. If any change is going to happen in your life, in your family, in your community, in your school, in our church, in the world, it always comes back to the heart. That's why as a church, we are the hope for the world because through the church, Jesus Christ changes hearts. And that's the only way that the world is going to change is what we are doing, the church is doing so here's a so what is the heart <laughs> okay well it's the center of your life it's the center of your thinking your thoughts the center of your feelings or your emotions it, it's like the the central part of who you are here's what the bible says proverbs 4 above all else guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life in other words life comes out of your heart. Everything you do comes out of your heart. And Jesus says even your words do in Matthew 12. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are you, do you catch that? So if you have a mouth problem, it's not your mouth, it's your heart. You can try to adjust things. Obviously, if a lot of weird stuff comes out, stop. But ultimately, the real solution is for your heart to change. You need a heart, tra- you need a heart transformation in order for your words uh, to change as well. So the question is, how can we build and strengthen the hearts of our children? How can we raise kids that truly honor God and honor us from their heart, not just their words, not just their actions, but their heart truly honors you and it honors God. So I'm going to share with you seven quick points this morning. And uh, it's not exhaustive, but in each one of these, we could go all day on each one. But I'm going to touch on them because hopefully one or a couple of them will really uh, connect with each of you. Uh, but here's the thing. This isn't just for parents or grandparents and children and grandchildren. This is every one of us. If you look at these, these apply to all relationships. So you might say, well, I'm not raising kids anymore. or The grandkids, they're off and gone. Well, this is also for you because you do have friends and you do have other people in your life. So here we go. Number one, I need to first of all focus on their heart and their character more than just their behavior, all right? For, especially for kids, I need to focus on their heart and on their character. This is where we talk about the internal versus the external. Sometimes we call it inside-out parenting, where we address the inside and, and not just the outside. You know, as parents, there's a lot of pressure. <laughs> sometimes the pressure you put on yourself Sometimes other people do, but we have, there's pressure on our time. There's pressure on our performance or on our success. Sometimes we put it on ourselves like, man, I want to have awesome kids. And so you take it on yourself to have awesome kids. All it takes is for one of them to mess that all up, right? <laughs> and what do you do? Then it becomes an identity crisis on your part. 
But we also tend to put pressure on our kids as well. Because if you put pressure on yourself to have amazing, awesome, perfect kids, guess what the kids are going to feel like? That they need to be amazing, awesome, and perfect as well. And they know they can't be. So therefore, you're setting yourself up for a lot of failure. Because we get caught up in the visible things. You know, things like the words and their behavior, things like that. But we forget that there's an internal part of your children. Your children have a heart. Your children have a soul. Your children have character. Those are the real issues. Those are the real parts of your family, your children, that you as parents need to be addressing and working on and ministering to, more so than just their behavior. And so we make sure that we communicate and we discipline in a way that values their heart and their motives and not just addresses their behavior. Now, this is an important thought, and I just, I'm, years ago when I was a youth pastor, I was in youth ministry for about 14 years. And once you've been in it for a while, you're thinking, you know, before you really have kids that are teenagers, you're thinking, oh, I can't wait till my girls grow up to be teenagers. I'm going to be the most awesome dad in the world. It's going to be awesome. And then they turn to be teenagers. And you're going, oh, my word. This is a totally different ball game than I was thinking, right? And so the, the thing is, sometimes when we are parenting and we're trying to change behavior, we're trying to instruct, we're trying to do the right thing, oftentimes we get caught up in winning the argument but we lose their soul. So parents, you need to decide, is this worth fighting about or should I be fighting for my kids? You might win the argument, <laughs> but you might leave a few scars. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to be right and then have a lot of work to do afterwards? This requires also that we as adults, we begin understanding our children at their level. Let me give you an example. What does this mean? Uh, well, it means that when you have a three or four-year-old, first service I used our grand, oldest grandson as an example, but he's in here, so I'm not going to use it this service. Okay? So if you're, <laughs> sorry, Jackson. If your child, three or four years old, does something really really stupid or dumb or just whatever and, and and they're standing there and you go what were you thinking I don't know no really what were you thinking I don't know parents they don't know they really don't know why their brain, that part of reasoning in their brain has not developed yet. Now, guys, when your wife says to you, what were you thinking? And you go, I don't know. That's because yours hasn't developed yet either. <laughs> Sorry, had to put that in there. So wives, take it easy on us husbands because we're still working on that part, right? But here's the thing. They sometimes they that they don't understand, right? We as adults were going to you had to have a reason for doing what you did. And honestly, they don't know. 
Another one I want to I encourage you with this is try to, this goes for all your relationships, try to avoid the words, I told you so. I told you so, didn't I? I told you. Now, you may be 100% correct. Those words are not helpful or productive. You know why? They demean them and they build you up. And it should be the other way around. What is our job? It's to build other people up, right? Every, every word that comes out of we talked about this last couple weeks, Ephesians chapter 4, every word that comes out of our mouth should be an encouraging and building other people up. Those words do not. You may be right. You may have worn them 450 times. But it doesn't help to remind them of that. So, number two. Okay, let's move on. Number two, we should, uh, I need to build truth and conviction into their lives. Truth and conviction. Now, last couple weeks, or last couple months anyways, we were talking about how important it is. And I, I believe this with all my heart. It is so, so vitally important for every one of us that love Jesus Christ for us to have a deep, deep belief and conviction in knowing that God's word is true. We need to know the truth of his word. We need to know the truth of God. We need to hang on to that with all that we have because there are days coming, and they already have been, where everything that you believe in is going to be challenged, and you need to have a conviction about what you believe about God. So do your kids. Parents, once you develop that conviction, one of the best things you can do is to impart, train, equip, and help your children learn that conviction for themselves. The truth and the conviction. Psalm 119, verse 11 says this in the King James. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Some of you memorized that way back in the old King James Version days, right? It's powerful. It means that we take the word of God and we, de- we, we bury it deep down in our heart and our soul. And it's there and it grows and it's never leaving. And be- when we do that, we take the word of God and it becomes a conviction that we're willing to die for. It will take you through everything in life. As parents, we help our children to learn and to live out the Bible. We talked about this several weeks ago. Just help them to know the Bible stories. But here's the thing. Don't just stop at the facts of the stories. Help them to learn the lessons that come from the stories. Some of of the Bible stories you read, especially the Old Testament, these are things you want to tell your kids Here's what you don't do, okay? And then there's other stories that says, here's what you do. Here, look, look at what they did. Here's lessons that we can learn from those. Teach them to memorize verses. One of the best things you do. Now, I know as adults we say, but it's, I don't, I, it's so hard to memorize verses. Not for your kids. They love to memorize them. And here's the thing, you start teaching your children to memorize verses, and before you know it, you're going to have half the Bible memorized yourself. It, It just works that way. You help them to know God and to love God as early as possible. And when they ask you all those why questions, why, 
Why this? Why that? And all day long, they probably ask you 400 why questions. And if you hear another why question, you're going to explode. Now, not every why question is relevant, I guess. To them it is, or they wouldn't be asking, right? Moms, dads, grandparents, take the time to answer as many as possible. You know why? They are learning to understand. I know they're being annoying, but they're learning what it means to begin to understand life and to understand things. And the more that you can help them to understand some of the smaller things, the more they can begin to understand some of the bigger things. You know, as parents, there's always a time and a place for you need to do that just because I told you so. Right? We all use it sometimes, right? Matter of fact, God uses it on us. Did you know that? Did you know that sometimes God says, you do it just because I said so? There's things in the Bible I'm going, God, I don't understand. Why do I need to do that? And he says, because I said so. But the more you do out of obedience, the more you begin to learn to trust and understand. The understanding comes down the road. When God says you need to, you need to forgive people even though they messed you up many different times and you need to forgive them, doesn't mean you need to continue to let them do it, but you forgive them and you go, Why? God, why? You don't understand what they did to me. God says, because I do the same for you. I forgive you every time you ask. And you don't learn that until you are obedient to it. Number three, let's jump into that one. We teach them to learn and own their own faith. We teach them to learn and own their faith. Now, a couple weeks ago, we used Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 1 and 9. We won't go through all that today. Basically, God says, all these commands I'm giving you, you parents, you make sure you teach them to your children, so they teach them to their children. And when, even when they're lying down, you teach them. You talk about these when they're standing up, when they're walking, going to school, when they're coming back. Continue to teach these laws to them. Don't ever stop. And we continue to do that. But what we do is, as parents, we need to teach them to learn and own, the own their own answers and convictions about their faith. Teach them to learn rather than just teach them to know. But it also means that you allow them to struggle with some of those faith issues as they're learning. You know, so many, maybe some of you here today, you went a long time in your life by riding on your parents' faith. Maybe you still are. And maybe later on in life as a young adult, maybe as an adult, you finally came to the point of saying, you know what? I think I need to believe in Jesus for myself. Not just because my parents did, not just because I went to church all these years, but I need to make this decision for myself to follow Jesus. Parents, your children need that as well. They need to come to a point in their life where they own their own faith. Now, this is hard sometimes because we have to allow them to struggle with some of the faith issues. 
Parents, when your kids come up to you and they say, I hate you. Or, I don't believe in God anymore. I mean, that's the last thing we want to hear, right, as parents? I'm a failure. What have I done? I'll call the cops. I don't know, whatever, right? Just realize this. What they say and think at that moment may be different than what they say and think about next week. You know what that means? When your child says, I don't know if I believe in God anymore, they are struggling and wrestling with their own faith. And at that point, what you do, parents, is you go from teaching, no, you really should, to guide, patiently guiding them to the point where they grab a hold of it and believe it for themselves. Don't freak out, for one thing. They're not done, right? And just remember this. Just as you struggle with your faith sometimes and your level of awesome understanding of God and the Bible and life, <laughs> your kids are going to struggle with their faith. They're going to wrestle with it. Just be there for them. Don't demand anything. Just be there as they do that. Number four. The fourth thing is I need to focus on their potential versus the present. What does that mean? It, it means that I need to focus on who they are becoming, the potential of who they are becoming, as opposed to the words and the behavior that they are expressing in the moment, like right now, in the present. Because remember, what they do right now is not necessarily what they're going to be doing next week or a year from now. And so we need to be patient with their development just as God is patient with ours. The next verse, uh, Philippians 1.6. This is just, I think, one of, the, one of my favorite verses, encouraging. And it says this, And I am sure that God who began the good work within you that's each one of us, will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. Here's the thing. Your children, your grandchildren, the people around you, your friends, your family members, they are in the process of God changing them, working in their lives, becoming who he wants them to be, just like you are. So the next time you look at your kids or people around you go, why aren't you there yet? You need to run home as fast as you can, go into the bathroom, look in the mirror and go, why aren't you there yet? Because none of us are. According to this verse, when are we going to be there yet? The moment we see Jesus Christ face to face and not before. You won't, neither will your kids, your grandkids, or anyone else around you. We are all in the process of becoming who Jesus Christ wants us to be. And I love what it says in Colossians 3, verse 10. It says, you have clothed yourselves with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed. What does that mean? It's always changing. 
It's always getting better. You're never arrived yet. That's your new nature you already have. As you learn more and more about Christ, who created this new nature within you. Here's what it means. I'd like you to write this in your notes. I put this blank in there for you. Is that I need to create space for my family. What does that mean? It means that I need to create a lot of room. I need to make a lot of room for the people around me to grow, to make mistakes, and to become more like Christ. I need to make a lot of room. You need to make room for yourself, but the people around you. Don't expect that your, your, the peop- your children, the people around you, are going to do things exactly the way you think they should. Because sometimes you're wrong. R- did I say that? Say amen, somebody. Okay, good. <laughs> because sometimes what you expect other people to do around you is not what they should be doing. You need to create space for others. You need to create space for yourselves. Uh, There's a story in Mark chapter 12. I'm not going to go into it all, but somebody came up to Jesus one time and said, hey, which was the greatest commandments? And Jesus says, well, you tell me. And he says, well, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, I already do that. And then Jesus says, well, what about the others? He says, I'm doing my best at all those two. And it was interesting because you know what Jesus' response to him was? It wasn't, no, you got it wrong. It says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You know why that's encouraging? Because parents, your children are not far from the kingdom of God. They're on their way. They're getting there. The day is coming soon when they will experience everything that the kingdom of God represents. Walk with them through that process. Do not give up on them just because they aren't there today. And by the way, you're pretty close yourselves. You're getting there as well. Number five, I need to pursue God's plan for my kids rather than my own plans. God's plans versus mine. You know, parents often try to mold or guide their children into succeeding at what they want them to succeed at, right? Um, We do this. I mean, I think probably most of us, if we haven't said it, we've heard it from other people. And it's great. It's awesome. I want my kids to have and do better than I did, all right? We, that's great, right? But what a lot of parents are saying when they do that is I want them to do better at what I did than what I did. Oh, wait a minute. And it's sort of a personal example might be, and I didn't do this, but it could be. I, I worked at Publix for 10 years before I got into involved ministry, and The highest level I made last four years, I was an assistant produce manager at one of the Publixes up in Bradenton. Now, I could say, (laughs) I want my kids to do better. I want them to be a produce manager when they grow up. Yeah. (laughs) Or I could just say, 
I want them to do what God wants them to do to the best of their ability. You know, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, this is what God said to Jeremiah. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born, and I had set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is cool, folks. Grab a hold of this as quick as you can. God has a plan and a purpose for every person that has ever been conceived on this planet. Every person, including you, including your children. He has a plan and a purpose for everyone. And it applies to all of us. And parents, one of the most humbling things you can do is to be able to say to your kids, kids, I want to help you become everything that God has planned for you. And you help them to discover their unique design and help them to fulfill what God has created them to be. Even, here's the humbling part, even if it's different than what you would pick. Years ago, our youngest daughter, uh, she was playing softball, fast pitch softball. She played all through uh, high school, college, played a couple years in college, goes to Virginia. Um, I had so many high ambitions for her college softball career. She did at the moment, too. But I remember the, her first year of her junior year, she's, she was pursuing nursing. She called one day after they were having fall ball practice. And she says, Dad, I just I don't know if I can do both. I mean, softball is very demanding, and we're not even in the season yet. And I'm like, oh, come on. You just, just work harder and manage your time. You can do this. <laughs> Finally said, Dad. I'm going to graduate in two years from now. I'm either going to have a nursing degree or I'll have played softball. Which one do you want? <sighs> You're right. Man, isn't that, isn't that crazy? When you get humbled and not humiliated, but you get, you get a reality check. So, parents, I would, I would encourage you. Yeah, you have hopes and dreams and desires for your kids, and it may work out. But the best thing you can do is help your children get to know God and discover the unique plan and purpose he has for them, and then you help them develop it as well, even if it's totally different than what you thought they should be doing. Number six, I need to help my kids develop a healthy self-image. A healthy self-image. What is this? Well, a self-image is it's sort of how I see myself, how I perceive myself. Because your perception of reality, your perception of life, your perception of yourself, of God, has everything to do with how you live life. You make decisions based on how you perceive things. You make decisions based on how you feel and think about God, about yourself. 
and how you feel about yourself. And see, the thing is, our world recognizes that how you feel about yourself is a big deal. But the problem is, our culture says that parents, adults, you need to affirm and support whatever your children perceive to be reality. And sometimes it's the furthest thing from reality. As parents, here's your job. You are to help your children see themselves the way God sees them. How does he see them? Proverb, or uh, Psalm 139. Let me read this. It's David is talking about God, to God. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. And how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. <laughs> they are innumerable. God sees all people as valuable, even those who are still in the mother's womb. Every life is valuable. And so parents, all of us, the best thing that you can do is to not only help your children see how God sees them, but you do that by you seeing them as God sees them. You value them the way that God values them. They're wonderfully complex. Some of you say definitely complex, right? God says they're wonderfully complex. My thoughts about your children are innumerable. God is always thinking about you in a very good way. Then number seven, last one, but I believe it actually should be number one. It should be that I need to develop my own heart. It is really, really difficult for you, any one of us here this morning, to help develop the heart of another person into something that you aren't. It's hard for us to develop, to help our children and the people around us develop a heart for the Lord, a heart that loves God, a heart that serves God, a heart that breaks for the things that God's heart breaks for, a heart that gets excited about the things that God's heart gets excited about. And I think all of us, we want that for our other people around us. We want that for the next generation. But if they're going to get it, it has to start in your heart. If you're going to develop a heart, it comes from a heart. Heart to heart is what it takes. And I know every one of us here this morning, we want the best, especially for the next generation. We want them to know God. 
We want them to value the word. We want them to know the truth. And we want them to really fall in love with Jesus. And some of you would give anything for that to happen. The main thing you need to give, your heart to Jesus. It starts there, folks. It's really hard to help someone else fall in love with Jesus if you haven't already. You might say, well, I, I just I, I don't know about this heart thing. How, how do I connect with another heart? Well, the truth is that you and I can't really, you can't change a heart. You can't really see someone else's heart, right? We can see the fruit of their heart. We can see if somebody has a really bad heart, chances are they're doing bad things and saying bad things. We see those things, and we immediately think, well, your, your heart's pretty messed up. But we don't really know. Only God knows. Only God really knows what's in your heart. Only God knows the true motivation of your heart. And there's a verse in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Some of us know the story where Samuel's going to go anoint David as the next king of Israel. And, and here's what it says. It says. God says to Samuel, says, look, <laughs> the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I've heard sermons already talking about this is a mandate for you and I to look at other people's hearts. <laughs> we can't. I'm not that good. You're not that good. This is not what you should do. This is what is. Only God sees a heart. But only God can change a heart. Matter of fact, you can't even change your own heart. You can change your mind. But only God can change your heart. So if you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I'm, just, I'm really struggling. There's this, you know, I find myself constantly feeling this direction, thinking this direction, doing this, and it's not good. I don't know how to change that. I don't know how to change my thoughts. I don't know how to change my words. I don't know how to change what I've been doing. I mean well. And I want to help other people, and I want to see the heart of my children, grandchildren, people around me to change, but I don't know how. Ezekiel, last verse in your notes, 36, says this. God says it. He says, I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What does that mean? It means that for those of us whose hearts are just really broken. They're really wounded. They're very hard. They're very, I mean, they're, they're like, they're rock solid. You're just a hardened person. And you just, you find it very difficult to change, to sympathize, to reach out. God says, if you let me, I'll take that heart. Not just caress it. <laughs> he says, I'll take that heart out of there and I'll give you a brand new one. A heart that loves me. A heart that loves others. 
a heart that breaks for the things that my heart breaks for, says God. A heart that rejoices for the things that I rejoice in. That's where it starts. If you're going to impart to people, your children, your family, your friends, spouses, whatever it is, if you're going to connect with a heart, you have to start with a heart that is connected to God. Otherwise, it's going to be a very, very challenging situation. Almost impossible.